From my earliest days as a teacher, I used to get my inspiration for things I wanted to do in the classroom by reading magazines or looking through old textbooks and seeing the kinds of things that quote-unquote experts suggested to do with students. In my later years, when we had the internet, that included browsing online. One can never underestimate the inspiration one can get from picking up a magazine or reading a list of headlines that come to your inbox with, an, with ideas for classroom teaching. For a long time, I've been receiving such emails with lists of ideas of what other people have done in other places in Canada, in the United States, or around the world. But I've always been thinking about what the articles say and looking for things that I could implement in my own classroom. Of course, now I don't have a classroom, but that doesn't mean I'm not impressed by what I read. And last week, before Halloween, naturally, I read about this fourth grade classroom in Pennsylvania, the teacher had come up with the idea that students could make catapults out of found materials and use those catapults to catapult candy pumpkins to see how far they could move the pumpkins in the air. Of course, when you stop and think about that, just at that level, you can see movies where they used catapults to get stones into forts. You can see students or think about students that were building paper airplanes, folding paper airplanes and flying them in the classroom, or building bridges with popsicle sticks, or things like that. If you've ever watched kids using Lego and see some of the challenges that come in the early boxes of Lego, you see that they have things like this. So naturally, the idea tweaked my fancy. And what additionally tweaked my fancy was the fact that they were expected to use found materials to make the catapults. When I was still a classroom teacher in a K or JK school to grade 8, I found myself for quite a few years helping the principal by ordering the supplies that came into the school every month in paper, in pencils, in pens, and in all of that kind of stuff. And I was the art teacher, so I was able to order 
the kinds of paper I needed for my art activities. Because I was in and out of what was the storage room, I began to think about storing found materials because I had seen online ideas for art activities based on found materials like found paper samples from wallpaper books or styrofoam or tin foil or or cardboard tubing or the list is almost exhaustible of things that can be used to create art activities. So naturally, the idea of using found materials to make catapults was a, was a, an eye-opener for me. And also, because I've always been interested in <coughs> STEAM projects, which means science, technology, engineering, art, and math. In some locations, it's still STEM without the art, but I prefer to use the A in art in there because I was an art teacher for so long. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this idea and why it helps to illustrate what we mean by problem-based learning. Problem-based learning has a number of different connections to what we try to accomplish as teachers. But before I go into those specifics, first of all, the project came, <coughs> came about because it was Halloween. And kids are always motivated by things that they're asked to do or think about when it's special events. So that's why in the early grades they color pictures of roosters and, and, and cornucopias and they make Santa Clauses and paint the windows at Christmas time <coughs> and that sort of thing. So Halloween is a natural starter for student interest and if we want our students to learn we have to begin with things that they're naturally interested in add the idea of the candy and you can see students having fun overdosing on the candy unless you're careful but but the idea of using candy that's going to be used at halloween to make a catapult is an excellent starter for students in specific grades. The next reason that it attracted me, I've already said, was the found materials. And because we use found materials, it's environmentally friendly as an activity. And one of the things we're trying to teach in schools is what it means to be friendly to the environment. And we want to relay messages about that to our parents as well. So right off the bat, there are reasons why the project is a good one for learning for students. Now, what do we mean by problem-based learning? We mean giving students a challenge 
and letting them work at their own pace, at their own rate, at their own level to solve a real-time situation. That's when students are forced to bring to the fore the things they already know and apply them to the things they don't know. And without even thinking about it, you should be able to see why that's such an important skill today. As I write this, we're just coming off of all of the news for two weeks about COP and the, the conference in Glasgow to try to come up with strategies for solving the problem of climate change. The people that are there are very good at thinking about ways to think about solving problems, looking into the future. And we need more of that. Those kinds of people who are good at solving problems and uh, working together to solve problems are very much in demand in our world today. So why is a problem-based learning project so good? First of all, students are are learning so much from each project. We cannot even begin to imagine all the different things students pick up when they apply their their thinking to a problem. We can't control where that learning is coming from and we can't control where that learning is going to. But when they're trying to solve a problem, they are learning. Think about a, a young child in a bathtub with toys or a Montessori classroom with building blocks or all the things we buy for our young children. We're not sure of what they're going to learn, but we know for sure they are going to learn. Something else is that Creativity is being cultivated when they work on a project because they are playing and having fun while they're playing, they're still thinking. So the creativity is a motivation. And I shouldn't have to explain. All you need to do is think about what happens in a early childhood education program where kids have finger paint or you give them um, an easel with a paintbrush and allow them to paint on that easel and on the paper that's on that easel. A third reason for using problem-based learning, it's reality-based. Children like to learn when it is something they know is connected to the real world. If they're sitting in a classroom and they're drilling spelling of words that they are not using, they tune out unless they're good learners. But even our hardest to reach students, if we train them in problem-based learning, become engaged in solving problems. So, when they work on something, they become, they have this feeling of accomplishment as they're solving the problem. They get excited. And when they get excited, they're learning. 
something else to think about is the fact that they're demonstrating their new learning. After it's all finished, you can ask them questions and they will use the language to tell you what they've accomplished. So they're practicing speaking, they're practicing answering questions, they're practicing reading, they're practicing listening skills. All of those things are being developed all the time they're working together on a project. They're being assessed not based on the final product, the final product, but they're being assessed on how they worked. You need to know that at the end of the day, there are all kinds of groups of students that are going to be able to fly pumpkin candy very far but they can have fun showing you what they've done and showing you what they've learned and how they worked. And that's a form of assessment that we call formative assessment, not summative. We're not giving them points based on the finished product. We're giving them points or commenting on what they do as they're working along. That brings me to another important element in learning today and that is that the teacher and the parents become the guides on the side. They're not controlling what the students are doing. The students are. It doesn't work if we try to tell them what to do. But if we're there to help them and give suggestions, we're acting as guides on the side rather than the sage on the stage. Don't do as I do, do as I say. And that never flies with students. I've already talked about the communication skills that are being developed. Something else is that it can be done in teams. And it can be done in teams that you form because you know that skills from student to student can be complemented. Or sometimes it can be the students pick their partners. You can have teams that are two or three or four people. And as soon as you have a team element, you're enhancing real-time learning on skills that are in demand in the workplace. We don't think of it that way when they're in grade four and they're trying to build a catapult, but when they learn how to listen to one another and cooperate with one another, those are the things that come into play when they're sitting at a table in an office and they're working together on solving problems. The reward for what they've accomplished is their positive feelings. So we enhance student efficacy. We enhance the students feeling good about themselves. Nothing works like success. And they'll feel successful even if they can only get one piece of candy over a distance. And the rest of the time, if it doesn't work, they don't care. As long as they've had some success in what they've done, they walk away from the activity feeling good about themselves. Another thing is that what is being learned 
is is in their minds. It's stuff that we have no control over. We learn concepts based on little bits of information at a time. A A child doesn't learn that a table has four legs and can be made of many different things and can be used for many different things unless they've experienced them. Experience is the best teacher. And so the students are experiencing things all the time. Making a catapult and, and throwing candy can be thought of as a physics challenge, but there are skills that are going to learn by trying to find the right information. There are skills that are going to be learned about the materials that they're using. One material might be stronger than another, so they learn from their experiences. Working together on projects uh, that are managed reinforces their learning because they're sharing back and forth. They're sharing their information and that reinforces. If I learn how to do something and then I turn around and teach somebody else how to do it, I'm reinforcing my learning. It becomes deep learning rather than superficial learning. And finally... Finally, at the end of the day, it's all about making the classroom a fun place. Most of you listening to this grew up in classrooms that were not really fun places. Somewhere along the line, we learned that going to school wasn't fun. But school should be part fun always. Because it's when we're having fun that we learn best. I always used to use the example of sports with my students when I was teaching young people how to become teachers. Think about how we teach students to play a sport. And what happens when those players become amateurs involved in all kinds of teams and we drive them to to meets and we're standing by the side and we're giving them pointers and so on all along the way we're raising the bar but if they're not having fun if we are constantly challenging them and penalizing them, we know we're opening up the door to mental health issues. But when we're rewarding them and laughing with them and enjoying what they're doing, they're feeling good about themselves. And that's what we need in school today. So using any example like this is a huge bonus. And the more you do it, the better you get at it and the better your students get at it.